Well, happy Easter. Well, I'm so glad to see you today. You know, we've been struggling to try to get people back since COVID. You know, B.C., before COVID, we had really big crowds. But we got a good crowd today. Look around at all the people who are in here. If you're single, this is your chance right here. Check them out. Okay, I'm so glad that you're here. Listen, some of you watch us online. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online. Some of you watch me online, and now you're here in the house today. And I just want to tell you, you look so much thinner in person. Have I told you that? But I'm so glad you came. Now, I want to ask you a question today. Do you believe? Do you believe? Because here's the thing. You and I can believe something for somebody else, but now when it comes down to us, do we really believe? I had a buddy in my church in Navarre, Florida for years. He was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. He would fly in and he would rescue the wounded and carry them back out. He was very good at what he did. He survived the war. He came out and he was in real estate and he bought a little helicopter and he kept it behind his office in his shop there. And, and he would take me flying in that helicopter for years. We'd go flying together. I thought it was because he liked me. Years later, I found out he needed a counterweight. That's why he was taking me with him. <laughs> So we would go up. Now, we would just float up in the air. It's the most wonderful thing. It's just a little bubble. It's just like a dream. You just float up in the air, and you get up over the trees, and you've got a whole new perspective. I could feel the stress just fall off of my body. We'd go out. He would fly me out over the Gulf. I mean, you could almost play the theme song from Magnum P.I. while we were out there. It was so neat. He would fly me down the beach. You know what I would see? I'd look out that helicopter. I'd look down there, and I I would see tourist, shark, beach in that order all day long. I don't swim at the Gulf anymore. I've, I've been cured of it. We'd fly along. Now, i take my family. It's just two seats, but I'd say, hey, if you want to go up, Bill will take you up in the helicopter. I'd try to get all of them who would go to go up in the helicopter with him. My wife, Laura, never would go. She said, uh-uh, I don't want any of that. I'm scared of that. I said, don't you believe it's safe for you? She said, I believe it's safe for you. I'm not too sure about me. I said, baby, just don't put all your weight down in it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You'll be all right. But, you know, it's a, one thing to believe for somebody else. But it's another thing to believe for yourselves. When they train people who have to wear the bulletproof vest, they put them on a dummy, and, and they shoot the bulletproof vest, and the vest never fails. It always protects and keeps the bullet out. And then they turn to the new recruits and said, now you want to try it. Well, they're pretty sure about that dummy out there, but they're not so sure about doing it for themselves, are they? You see, today we're going to talk about believing. You know, Easter's a time with family. Maybe your family's here. I talked to a lot of people this week. They said, my family's in town. I'm coming to church. Or they said, my family's in town. We're going to watch you online. Or they said, we're going to our family, but we're still going to watch you online. And I'm just glad that everybody participates. Laura and I, our family couldn't come today. Catherine's working. She's working full-time going to school, and she has crazy hours because she's a paramedic studying to be, uh, uh, or she's an EMT studying to be a paramedic, will graduate in December. She can't even get to the grocery store, much less over here to see us right now, but she'll finish soon. Then our older daughter, Elizabeth, she's with her family and her husband, Rob, and all his family. They're all getting together for Easter, so none of our family is here today, but don't cry for us, really. It's, it's okay. It's all right, because you know what? In a couple of weeks, we're going to go up to Birmingham. 
And we're going to see them then. We're going to visit with them because we're all going. Our granddaughter Collins, have I told you about her at all? She's five years old, gorgeous, gifted, beautiful, wonderful, smart, everything. I have pictures. How much time do you have? She's, she's having a dance recital on Sunday afternoon in a couple of weeks. You probably heard about it on the news. It's a big deal. And so we're going to be up there for that. So we're going to get to visit together. But now next week, I will be preaching out at the beach. If you've never been to the beach service, you want to slip out there. It's at 830. We'd love to have you. I'll preach there. You can still come back. Go to this service here. I mean, I go to multiple services. You can too. Look at the person next to you and say, you can go to multiple services. Go ahead and tell them that right now. All right, now listen, recently, recently I heard about a judge in Yugoslavia, this really happened, who was accidentally electrocuted when he turned on a light while standing up in the bathtub. He was pronounced dead and placed in the morgue for 24 hours before burial. Amazingly, the judge, who was not actually dead, came to in the middle of the night. He realized where he was. He got up to tell the guard that he was not dead. The guard was so terrified, he ran off. So the judge then called his wife to tell her that he wasn't dead. When she heard his voice, she fainted. So he went to some friends and tried to convince them, but they didn't believe it was him, and they ran away too. Finally, he called a friend in another town who had not heard about his death, and he told his friend the story. That friend had to call the family and friends to explain what had happened to the judge. Now, that is an experience none of them will ever forget. Also, in a small-town hospital, they had a bomb threat. And so the hospital decided what they would do is evacuate the hospital. Some of the patients were transported to the nearby rescue squad building. But due to a shortage of space, they had to take the rest of them to the local funeral home. There was a woman who had been in surgery when they made the bomb threat, and she was still coming out of anesthesia. She woke up and realized she was in the funeral home. You can imagine what that was like. It scared her so much she started to scream until the other patients began to explain to her what had happened. You see, Easter changes everything, and here's why. When people die, they usually stay it doesn't take a genius to fill in that blank, does it? Because folks stayed it. But Jesus died, but he was resurrected. He came back from the dead. He is alive, and that's why Easter changes everything. So I got a question for you today, and the question is not whether the resurrection is important, but do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in it for other people? But do you believe in it for yourself? Because that's the one that counts. You've got to make a decision for yourself. Easter changes who we are. It changes our purpose. It changes our future. And it changes the end of our story. See, a lot of times people come to me and they say, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus really die? And did he really, was he really buried in a tomb? And, and did he stay in there for several days? And then did they roll the stone away and he had risen? Did, was he really resurrected? Or, or did that, was that just something they talked about? Was his body really stolen? 
Did Jesus actually get up and walk out? Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. Here's what he said. For what I received, I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What he's saying there, at the time I'm telling you about it, most of these people are still alive who are witnesses, but some of them have died. And then it goes on and says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last to all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, Jesus appeared to over 500 people when he was resurrected. People saw him. They talked to him. If it was a lie, John's gospel wouldn't have written about it, and they wouldn't have had Mary Magdalene telling people about it because women weren't given a position of authority back then. What's more, the end of good, at the end of Good Friday, the disciples were scared. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus is your Messiah. You have committed your life. You're following him. You've given up everything. You're walking with him every day. He's teaching you all the time. And now suddenly you've gone from where he rides into town and everybody sings Hosanna, Messiah. Here he is. And now what's happened? He's dead. He's dead and he's buried. You know, when people are dead and gone, you, sometimes you just can't believe it. Some of my buddies I went to school with in high school, just this year, I found out about a couple of them. My age, you know, we, we grew up together. Both of them are dead and gone. It's just hard for me to comprehend that they're not here anymore. But if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and he's dead and gone, that means that, that your whole mission is gone because what are you going to do now? And you can't go out anyway because they're looking for you because you proclaim Jesus Christ. So now you're just hiding. You're afraid. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to react. But then in the book of Acts, something changed. Because here they go back out, these same disciples who were so scared, and now they boldly proclaim the gospel. Now they go out and give their lives to tell the story of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. What changed? He did. He was resurrected. And now the mission's back on. Now we've got a story to tell. Now we've got a purpose, not only for us, but for everybody else that we can tell. We want everybody to know. And what's more, now you can see how it's changed in your life as well. They end up giving their lives for the resurrection. Now, some of you may remember the name Charles Colson. He was a lawyer and he was a political advisor to President Richard Nixon. He was one of seven men who pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice trying to cover up the Watergate break-ins. The Republicans had broken in. The Democrats had a little headquarters there. They had broken into this motel room. They were going in there trying to find some information because they were trying to get President Nixon reelected. And then they lied about it after that. And because of that, they, many of them went to prison. Now, Colson was trying to ensure that, that the president would be reelected, and he went to prison. But here's something that happened. 
Charles Colson became a Christian while he was in prison. It was a genuine conversion. It really happened. And not only that, but he started and founded the Prison Fellowship Ministries. And he spent the rest of his life trying to lead prisoners to Christ. And he got more and more people involved with that ministry. He wrote a book about it, Born Again. It's an amazing story of a tremendous turnaround that he took. And Charles Colson said this, here's his quote, I know for a fact that the resurrection happened and that Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified, he said, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years. He said never one time did they deny it. They were beaten and tortured and stoned. They were put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate, he said, involved 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. You know, I know that Christ is alive because he lives in me. I see him all the time. I see him in creation. I see him in my family and friends. I see him in difficult situations. I see him in divine appointments where he just helps me run into people I need to talk to that need to talk to me all the time. I know that he's there because I talked to him this morning. And maybe you did too, right? You see, in John 11, Mary and Martha must choose for themselves if they really believe. It's not enough to just know about Jesus, but do I really believe that he's going to do what he said he did? Their brother Lazarus is sick. And hearing this, Jesus is just a couple of miles away in Jerusalem from Bethany. But because he hears about it, for some reason, he doesn't go back immediately, but he waits several days. And here's what happens. We pick it up in John 11. Look what it says. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? Now, this is the question that everybody here has to answer. Everyone listening to me today, Jesus is asking you this question. Do you believe that I died and I was resurrected? Do you believe this? Do you personally believe it? Because let me tell you, you, your mama may be a Christian, your daddy may be a Christian, but there's no proxy for you to be a Christian. You, you, can't, you can't just say, well, because my mama's a Christian, I'll be. There's no grandchildren in heaven only children. 
So every person has to decide for him or herself to accept Jesus Christ. Now I want you to listen to Martha's response. Lord, if you had been here, and then Mary later says the same thing, Lord, if you had been here. You ever notice how quick we are to accuse Jesus and to take offense at God when he doesn't do what we want him to do right now? I know none of you would ever do that, but probably you've known people who've done that. Hey, 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 I want you to pay attention to me, Lord. This is my prayer concern. This is what I need. I need it now. I'll need it in seven days. Now, I want you to make it happen. And he says, you know, if you want to see me laugh, just tell me your plans. Because he really is God, right? And so it's just silly for us how quick we are to doubt his goodness and faithfulness when things don't go our way. But here's the thing I want you to see. God's timing is not our timing. We only see a fraction of the picture, but from God's perspective, he sees everything right now. You see, when we're here on the ground, we can only see so much. When I floated up in that helicopter and I was looking around, I could see so much more. It changed my whole perspective of that area. Well, God's perspective is much bigger than that. He can see everything at the same time. Now, Martha witnessed a miracle that she might have missed if she just kept focusing on the fact that she she thought Jesus was late, but here's something. Jesus is never early, and Jesus is never late. He's right on time. His timing is perfect. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I prayed and I've tried to be patient, and I thought, Lord, are you listening? Lord, are you going to respond? Lord, are you going to? And every time he comes through, and maybe he answers in a different way than I expected, and maybe the timing's not what I thought it would be, but he always does. And Martha acknowledges Jesus' power, but, but she doesn't really grasp the whole thing of what he's saying. I know he'll rise again at the resurrection, she's saying, but, but here's what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, I want to tell you something. This past week, I preached a funeral. There's a man in our church who died, and his wife was there, and then their children, and then their grandchildren, and then there were four little great-grandchildren, little boys, sitting there. And I talked about that verse, and I talked about what it means to become a Christian. And at the end of my message, I looked at all four of those little boys, and I said, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your lips, you will be saved. Even I can understand that. And really, that's what we want. We want to be with our family at Easter. But boy, we really want to be with our family in eternity, don't we? We want every family member to know Jesus and to walk this life. You know, some people wait till they're really, really old to make a commitment. And then they realize at the end of their life, they may, what was I waiting for? I wasted all those years. I'm thankful they made the commitment. But man, they could have been walking with Jesus all along and then on into eternity. So she knows to put her faith and trust in Jesus. She knows the truth of Romans 6, 5. It says, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, I want to tell you something today. I didn't know my buddies were going to die this year, but I will tell you this. 
Every person who's listening to my voice right now is going to die. Guaranteed, 100%. I don't know when, but everybody here is going to die. We don't like to talk about death. We say they passed on or they've gone ahead. We use all kinds of terminology because people are afraid of dying. But I want you to hear me today. Easter makes all the difference. If you believe with your heart, confess with your lips, you will be saved. Jesus isn't just talking about when he comes back. He's saying, hey, you can have a relationship with me right now. You can make a commitment today. He's explaining that eternal life and resurrection is something that can start now. And then he puts it this way in John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, Jesus asked her a question, and it's a personal question, and it's the question he's asking each one of us. Do you believe? The question cuts straight to the heart. And so Jesus waited until after Lazarus had died before he went to go and to deliver him from the dead. Because if, if Jesus had just healed Lazarus when he was sick, God would have been glorified. But what happened when he re resurrected Lazarus from the dead? Hey, now that got everybody's attention. You don't going to believe what happened last week. You know, Lazarus, he got sick. Well, he died, and, and then he was resurrected. What were you drinking when he did that? You're telling me a story. No, I'm telling you the truth. And so that's what happened. You, you ever take a picture and look at it? Did I mention I have a five-year-old granddaughter, Collins? I have lots of pictures. Of her. Now, look, you can look at Collins' picture. You can see the picture, but, but you don't know Collins. You know what she looks like, and she's pretty. You can look at You can see the color of her hair and her eyes. You can see all about her. She's gorgeous, but you don't know her. But now, what if I brought Collins here and I introduced you to her? Well, first of all, you'd be very fortunate people to get to meet her. But then you'd get to know her, wouldn't you? And you could talk to her. And let me tell you, she could talk to you, too. She, she talks to people. She's not afraid. She's almost six years old. She never meets a stranger. She's happy to be out in life. Now, here's the thing. You see, God wants us to know him personally. And Martha's answer is simple yet profound. Here's what she says in John 11:27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She said, I believe in you, and I believe you're the Son of God, and I believe that you make life better, and I believe that you make it good for people, and I believe you make it good for me. I believe that you're the best for me. I believe you're my Savior, and I can trust you, and that you're the only one who can save me. Martha believes, and so what she's saying is, yes, Lord, I believe. And, and that's what God's waiting to hear from all of us. He's waiting to hear us say those words. Yes, Lord, I believe. I, I do. You know, somebody told me about Jesus when I was a little boy. I went to vacation Bible school, and a preacher got up and talked to us, and I made a commitment to Christ, and I got baptized. And it was genuine, and it was real. And then God called me to spend the rest of my life telling other people, anybody who'd listen, what it means to be a Christian. You know, Jesus goes to the grave with Mary and Martha, and Lazarus has been dead for several days. And they start crying because they're sad because they're grieving. And, you know, Jesus understands because Jesus starts crying too. He knows that Lazarus is about to be resurrected, but what does he do? He feels their pain. He knows what it's like. He's empathetic. And so because they cry, he cries. 
And then he walks to the tomb. And then it really happens. Now, there's no misunderstanding because he's been dead and buried for four days. And then Jesus stands back. And as they watch, he says these words, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man starts walking. And he comes out of the tomb. Why did he say Lazarus? Because if he hadn't been specific, everybody would have come. (laughs) You think about that next time you pray. Pray specific prayers and be careful what you pray for, okay? One time I had this lady in the church. She said, my my daddy's in his 90s. He's bedridden. He's not conscious anymore. He's in a hospital bed in my house. I want you to come pray for him. I said, I'd be glad to. I said, what do you want me to pray? She said, pray that God will be merciful and take him. He's had a wonderful life. He's a Christian. He's ready to go. And so I went to the house, and I prayed for her daddy, and I just asked the Lord to be merciful and take him. And while I was there, she happened to mention that her husband, Walt, was a little under the weather. He was a pilot, and he had something going on with him. And she asked me to pray for him, too, and I told her I'd be glad to do that. I go home. Two hours later, she calls me. Just want to thank you for coming. Daddy passed, and it was peaceful. Everything's fine. But Walt said he didn't want you praying for him. (laughs) Now, Jesus does an incredible miracle. And now, you think people believe? You better believe they believe. Everybody there is saying, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. I'm going to tell you, Jesus came, and Lazarus, look, here he is. He was dead, and now he's alive. He's back. Welcome back, buddy. We're glad to have you. And then you look back in Genesis 15. God turns to Abraham, the father of the children of Israel. He's an old man. He doesn't have any kids. His name means the father of many nations. He doesn't have any kids. You introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Abraham, father of many nations. How many kids you got? None. <laughs> How old are you? I'm getting close to 100. Yeah, well, that's kind of a misnomer, isn't it? Why do they call you Abraham? But it, the Bible says Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham, he's an old man. He's older than I am. He's pretty old, right? But he believed, and sure enough, it happened. In Mark 9, there was a possessed boy. Jesus calls on that generation for their unbelief. The father says this to Jesus. He says, if you can, when he's talking to Jesus, do anything, help us. If you can do anything, help us. And Jesus says, if you can. As Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. In other words, he said, if you can do anything to help us, help us. He said, don't you believe I can? I can. The father responded, I do believe. And then he said, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, listen, I like this guy. You know why? Because I can relate to that. I mean, I believe, I really do, and I have a heart for God, and I believe what he tells me, but sometimes I got a little unbelief. Sometimes I struggle. It takes me a while to wrap my mind and my heart and my arms around something because God's telling me something that's so big I can't believe it. Have you ever been at the end of your rope? Have you ever been where you can't go anymore? There's no way you can find a way forward. And then God comes through, and and it's just miraculous. And He's done that for me countless times. There's a lot of stories. If I had time, I could tell you. I'm serious now. And it was amazing what he did. And I'm so grateful for that. And so I'm grateful that here's another guy that that I relate to. Here's one that says, I believe. But now here's the question I want to ask you today. Are you daring enough to believe God for something bold, for God to do something in your life that is scriptural, 
something that you know he can do, something that you need him to do, but you just don't know how in the world he could ever do it. On Easter Sunday, 1973, Idi Amin was the dictator of Uganda. Kifa Simpagi was a pastor, and he had seen the terrible things that happened to people at the hands of Amin's soldiers. On that Easter morning, he wondered what difference his sermon was going to make. He prayed for wisdom, he prayed for strength, and he prayed for courage as he delivered his message to 7,000 people. And after church, he went to his office. And five men followed him into the office. And they shut the door behind them. And they all five pointed rifles at his face. And he recognized them as the secret police, Idi Amin's assassins. And he said their faces were full of hate and rage. And the leader said, we're going to kill you. Do you have anything to say before we do? And Kepha stood there shaking. And he was thinking about his wife and his children. And then he said this, I do not need to plead my own cause. I am a dead man already. My life is dead and hidden in Christ. And then he said, it's your lives that are in danger. You're dead in your sins and I will pray to God that after you have killed me, he will spare you from eternal destruction. The leader looked at him curiously, and then he lowered his gun, and he told the other soldiers to lower theirs. And then he looked at Kepha, and he said, Will you pray for us now? And Kepha said, Yes. And he bowed his head, and he began to pray. Father in heaven, you have forgiven men in the past. Forgive these men also. Do not let them perish in their sins, but bring them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And then Kepha lifted his head, and he was waiting for those soldiers to pull the triggers. But then he noticed their faces. Gone was the hate and the rage and the contempt. And the leader said this, You have helped us, and we will help you. Our soldiers will leave you alone. Do not fear for your life. You will be protected. God had given Kepha the strength and the courage to say a simple prayer that saved his life and changed the life of those five soldiers forever. What, God, what gave him the courage to face the enemy guns? Easter. Because if you believe in Easter, you believe anything is possible. You can face anything knowing that Jesus has faced it before and he has conquered it, both sin and death. So no matter how dark your Friday, no matter how silent your Saturday, Sunday is just around the corner. And Easter really does change 
everything. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, today I want to thank you for saving me. And I'm a sinner saved by grace. And it's not that I'm special. I'm, I'm just another one of your children. But, Lord, you did that. And so when you look at me, you see the righteousness of Jesus. And when you look at everyone else who is saved, that's what you see. And so today, Lord, I want to pray for my friends who are listening right now, whether they're here or watching online. Lord, I pray that not one person would leave today without having an assurance of their salvation. It's so simple. A child can understand it, but sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid to go to you when we've done something wrong because we feel guilty, because we are guilty. But, Lord, you know we're guilty. That's why you came, to save us. And you'll love us and accept us, and you'll let us walk with you for the rest of this life and for all eternity. And so today, Lord, I just want to pray for these friends and give them an opportunity to respond. I'm just going to pray for you right now. And if you want to pray this prayer silently right where you're sitting, you can do it. And you can just repeat after me silently in your heart, and you can give your life to Christ. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I can only be saved by grace. Thank you for saving me. I want to give my life to you. I want to accept you as my Savior. And I want to walk with you forever. And I thank you for doing it for me today. And all God's children said, Amen. Now listen, if you made that decision, I want you to tell somebody today. Turn to the person next to you. Let them know about it. Find somebody to tell that to. And then one other thing I want to ask you to do. I want you to go home and get your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you'll ask me, I'll give you a Bible. I want you to write down inside the Bible on that cover page, on this day, at this church, at this time on Easter Sunday, I made a commitment to Christ, and it was real and genuine. And I just praise God that that happened. And then in a couple of days, two or three days, when you're reading your Bible and praying and the enemy comes along and says, hey, hey, what you did down there at that church, that wasn't real. It didn't really mean anything. I want you to open up that Bible and point and tell the enemy to read it and weep because you know it's true. It is the truth, and you can believe it. Would you do that? I hope you have a wonderful Easter, but more importantly, I hope you have a wonderful life and a wonderful eternity. Amen.